your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17? Uh, let the fire fall. <laughs> uh, we're continuing our study through the book of 1 Kings, and uh, Warren Wearsby has a, a study on this, and so we've looked through that here for the Sunday school hour. Elijah the Tishbite, uh, if you think about Elijah's ministry, I, <laughs> he goes from one of those guys of just incredible courage to just like unbelievable discouragement and like fear, right? I mean, he goes from like hiding out in a cave to like God calling down fire out of heaven, destroying and then killing 450 prophets of Baal. I mean, Elijah has quite the contrast in his ministry. His name means the Lord Jehovah is my God. It's a name that is quite appropriate for a man who would call God's people back to himself. And I'd like you to look with me at 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, verse 21 and 22. And... Uh, <coughs> I love his challenge that he gives to the people. He's, um, and he says, listen, don't get on the sidelines of who God is. Don't just try to get a little bit wet with God. Go all in. It's all in or all out. Don't be kind of like, well, so I think I'll do a little bit of this and a little bit of this. Look with me here at 21 and 22 of 1 Kings 18. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah to the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Look with me, verse 39. After God does an amazing work, calls down fire from heaven, consumes the ox, all the water around that altar, I mean, just an unbelievable display of God's power. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord... He is the God, the Lord. He is the God. And what we find in this situation here of Israel is that wicked King Ahab, he had permitted his wife Jezebel to bring the worship of Baal into Israel, and she was determined to wipe out the worship herein. If you look with me, uh, verse 4 of 1 Kings 18. For, so, for it was so, when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Jezebel hates the people of God. She hates the priests of God. Obadiah, here as he's taken these hundred prophets, he says, listen, we've got to protect their lives. She wants to cut their heads off. I want you to notice with me, 1 Kings chapter 16, going back just a little bit further, really what was the testimony of Ahab? He was a man that allowed error into his house. In verse 31, And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove. And look with me the next statement here. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. I don't know about you, but if I have a legacy behind me of making God anger than all the kings before me, I don't think I want that legacy. Not that I don't think, I don't want that legacy. I don't think any of us want that legacy. Baal was a Phoenician fertility god who would, in their minds, would send rain and bountiful crops. The rites connected with it, the, the rituals connected with Baal worship was unspeakable immorality. 
Solomon also catered to idolatrous practices of his heathen wives, chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Ahab would yield to his wife's desires, even building her a private temple where she could worship Baal. And her desire, as we're going to look at, was to exterminate all worshipers of Jehovah and make all everyone worship Baal. Elijah is quite the important figure here in the Bible. He was one of only two that we would see in the scriptures with whom God would take. Enoch walked with God and was not. After 365 years, he ascended into heaven. God took him. Same with Elijah. And Elijah, in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, it tells us that John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power. I'd like you to look with me a couple passages here. We'll come back to this 1 Kings 17, 18. But Luke chapter 1, verse 17. Luke chapter 1, verse 17. It tells us about uh, John the Baptist, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, Elias, excuse me, which is Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. God had his hand on Elijah in an unbelievably special way. He had his hand upon John the Baptist. Look with me at John chapter 1, verse 21. I mean, people are asking him, like, are you Elijah? when When they hear the power of John the Baptist, and they know the scriptures, the Jewish people do, in John 1, 21, and they asked him, What then, art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. And then in verse 23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. It's John the Baptist that's being spoken of here. Now, turn with me back a little bit of prophecy. Uh, Why are they thinking that uh, John the Baptist was Elijah? Look with me at Malachi, the last book before the book of Matthew. Last minor prophet. The only reason why they're minor is because they're shorter than the major prophets. That's the only difference, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, those are all major prophets and they're long. They're longer books. The minor prophets are shorter books. That's what makes them minor or major. Here in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So they're thinking... Man, John the Baptist has an incredible power. I mean, he's this guy wearing goat's hair, you know, camel's hair, eating locusts. He's some weird guy out in the desert with a big old beard. Uh, I mean, he's preaching with God's power in an unbelievable fashion. Another passage speaking of Elijah, Matthew 17. Just giving you a little bit of some understanding here. But Elijah was a man with whom God mightily worked. And yet, we find Elijah, as we're going to look at it, in some very precarious situations. Matthew chapter 17, verse 10, his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias, Elijah, must first come? And Jesus answered and said to them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already. 
and they knew him not. But have done unto him whatsoever they listed, likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. So Elijah, so John the Baptist came in the power of Elijah. Elijah was with Moses and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, 3. Some students believe that Moses and Elijah, and, and it does seem, there, there is some indication that the two evangelists, the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, would indeed be Moses and Elijah that will come back during the tribulation period. Now, Elijah isn't a polished uh, preacher, much like Isaiah or uh, Jeremiah. He's more of like a rough-hewn, more redneck reformer who challenges the people to abandon idols and return to the Lord. He was a courageous man. Can you imagine going to stand right before the prime minister and say, Prime Minister, turn from your idols. And his wife saying, I'm going to lop your head off. So you run for your life. I mean, imagine the rebuke given to a head of state And he rebukes Ahab's sin with absolute certainty. He challenges the priests of Baal, 450 priests of Baal against one. There are times where God calls us to doing things. The majority is against it, but God is for it and God is for us. Elijah was a worker of miracles. He also experienced miracles in his daily life. And here in chapter 17 and 18, we record these miracles. God did something absolutely incredible through Elijah. I mean, he is, I mean, you want to talk about the power of God. We talked about the last two Sundays as this year to just understand the glory of God, that everything that we do, how we live our lives, how we're at home, how we're at work, how we're in society, every action that we do is always to bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that. And Elijah has a ministry uh, wherein Israel, Ahab, remember Israel is the ten tribes. uh, After Solomon, his son Rehoboam, he was just a harsh dictator and the people are like, off with you, I'm done with that. Jeroboam was a very charismatic man. I mean, people loved him. And so they just said, hey, we're going to go with Jeroboam. So ten tribes of Israel go. And so in 1 Kings, you'll note whenever, you know, Ahab was the king of Israel. Not all 12 tribes, but he was of 10 tribes. Judah and Benjamin were uh, what is oftentimes the king of Judah, would also be the king of Judah and Benjamin, as you understand it from historical perspectives. Nevertheless, so Elijah's ministering in a kingdom that from its outset, Jeroboam started Israel, the 10 tribes that came with him, upon Baal worship. Because he didn't want to lose the power, and he realizes if I go into idolatrous worship, I will keep the power with the people. And now God sends a prophet to condemn, to rebuke, and say, listen, get right, or else. And upon these truths, let us open up in a word of prayer as we study this passage of Scripture. It's exciting. God's Word is so exciting. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, (coughs) there's a lot of things as we experience even in our own day. A lot of wickedness. But Father, it is nothing new to you. It's nothing new through history. Father, you have used sometimes the unlikely person with whom you want to work to do great things. 
Because, Father, it's not about the person, it's all about you. Lord, I pray in our hearts and lives today that everything we do within our lives would be with the aim that people would see how wonderful you are. I love you. I commit this time to thy care. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. We think about a nationwide drought going back to 1 Kings chapter 17. It's kind of amazing how this dovetails with kind of the message I gave in the, I will be giving in the morning service at 11 about water. And uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now, how, how much do our farmers depend upon water for their crops? You would say it's everything. I mean, they need good soil. But if they don't have water, I mean, we need rain. We need wells under the, under the, you know, under the ground. They need water. Without water, he says, no rain and no dew, no mist, no fog. And so if God doesn't send early rain there in October and November, the latter rain in March and April, then there's going to be a famine in the land. Much of the semi-annual rains, it depends upon the people obeying the covenant of the Lord, Deuteronomy 11. God warns the people. Look with me at Deuteronomy 28. And I think this is something that we need to understand in our own lives. That the provision that we have for life, with as much strength as we have, I'm reading a book right now, I, uh, I was over at the radio and I was preaching a, a message over there on the endurance with uh, uh, Ernest Shackleton back in the early 1900s as he was an Antarctic, uh, Antarctica um, explorer and their ship got caught in the ice and it just details a long, prolonged period of time of what they did to survive. And I'm about halfway through the book right now, but... The men thought, oh yeah, we're strong, and I was just reading last night, the men finally came to a recognition. Yeah, we're pretty puny down here in these icebergs and these flows. Uh, there's not much, and the elements are pretty unforgiving. There's nothing we can do to change the elements. But in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse uh, 23, uh, the Bible tells us, And thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass, and the earth that is under thee shall be iron. The Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust, from heaven shall it come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. And if you look back in this, in verse 15, he says, if you don't listen to me, then your ground is going to be like dust. Leviticus chapter 26, verses 3 and 4. If you want to look back there, just a few books back there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 26, or 3 and 4. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season. And the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. I want to ask us a question. Now, we, there's a lot of this climate change discussions going on today. But we have to understand, yes, there is pollutants that go into the world. We need to be good stewards of our earth. I understand that. But if God says no rain, then it doesn't matter how much we do to 
create a better environment. If God says no rain, there's no rain. In verse 18 and 19, if you will not yet for all of this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass. How many of you have ever tried to do something in your life, and you were trying to go a particular direction, and as you're moving down that life path, man, you hit a door and you're thinking, man, this door, I'm going to go through it. It's going to be wonderful. And every time you try to go through that door, that door, I mean, it just proverbially just opens up and slams you right in the face. And you're just like, I guess I'm not supposed to go that direction. I mean, it just like slams you and slams you and slams you. And you're just like, what in the world? The land where Israel is at belongs to God. He gave it to them. And God says, I'm not going to bless you. I'm not going to be with you if you want to cheat on me. As I've given the illustration many times over, it's like of a husband and wife, and, and one of the spouses says, well, I've got a, I've got a suitor on the side. I, I've got a, a mistress or a, a mister on the side. You know what? That's going to affect the relationship. And so Elijah here appears before King Ahab in October, and he says, listen, the early rain, it's gone. There had been no rain for six months from April to October. And here Elijah comes before and we have to understand that God keeps his covenants. If God gave those covenants there in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, and as we see in the scriptures, through Moses, this is the word of God. God says, listen, you turn your heart on me. You turn your heart away from me. I'm not going to bless your actions. God had held back the rain because of the fervent prayers of Elijah. And he would send the rain again in response to his servant's intercession. In James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, we find this, that Elias, Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Can you imagine? So earnestly praying, Lord, this is a land that hates you. God, please hold back the rain. You know what? When, when you get to a place of desperation, you come to the crossroads in your life to make a decision. I'm going to go closer to God or I'm going away. That's the only choices you have. Because when the pressure comes and you're about to break, I'm going to make a choice. Which way am I going? Like a faithful servant attentive to his master's commands, Elijah stands before the Lord and he serves him. In 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 14, and Elisha said, much like we had with Elijah, Elisha said, as the Lord host liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. Chapter 5, verse 16. He says, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand, both Elijah and Elisha understood. They said, yes, I'm living here on earth, but I'm standing before the Lord of all the earth. I'm standing before the Creator. I'm standing to serve Him in my daily duties. And you would think, with the greatness uh, of the ministry of Elijah, I mean, God would just bless him. 
you would think, wow, Elijah stands before Ahab. I mean, that's a guy that has some gumption. I mean, he's, a, he's just going to tell it like it is. He's going to tell it the way God wants him to tell it. And yet, after this, verse 2 of 1 Kings 17, the word of the Lord came unto him, Elijah, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. Jezebel must have, you know, instigated a campaign. She must have said, Elijah, I hate you. I hate you, Elijah. You, you know what? I don't know if you've ever had it. When you were a little kid and you were wanting to do wrong, did you ever have a sibling? Man, they were just around you or a a neighbor kid or someone that was around you and you knew if that kid was around you and you were wanting to do something wrong, you weren't going to get away with it because that person was going to go tell someone and you're thinking, if I got my hands on them, I'm going to give them a licking. Elijah runs for his life and Jezebel, I mean, she just hates opposition. She can't stand for people to get in her way. Famine hits the land, and Ahab begins his search for Elijah, the man that caused all of his trouble. 1 Kings 18, you know, verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Elijah, you're the problem here. You're the reason why our, our nation's in a drought. That's pretty amazing. That a king would say to a man, another man, you're the problem for this land. You know the problems, it's easy to blame someone else rather than looking at our own hearts. It's easy to say, well, you're the problem, you're the reason why all this stuff is falling apart. Now, Elijah, in one sense, if you want to think about it, he did pray to God that God would hold off the rain, and God did. So there is a sense that Elijah was, you know, responsible But it was a reason because Ahab was an idolater. He lived for himself. He lived for the material things of this life. And and, uh, Ahab and Jezebel led the nation into disobeying God. The very land that they're on, when they came into Canaan land, when they came into that promised land, it would literally be like, you know, if you buy a house and it's turnkey. Imagine moving into your house no, all the furniture there, all the appliances, all your clothes and everything you need. You walk into that house and everything's there. You don't have to move anything. You would be like, where do I sign if the price is right? Right? The moving? <laughs> I mean, you think about these things. Uh, But just imagine this. God did that for Israel. They moved into the promised land with all of these houses, all the infrastructure, everything was there. God says, I gave that to you. And Israel, in turn, turns around and slaps the face of God and says, no, I'm going to do it my way. And God is a special hiding place for Elijah. He had some unusual servants that would feed Elijah. I don't know about you, but the thought of a raven feeding me, and that turned my stomach. Those are some dirty birds. We just did a dump run this week 
or some things at our house. And I mean, those things are out there with the filthiest of the filth. And yet God takes Elijah apart and he hides him. You know what, as David there in Psalm 91, or potentially Moses in Psalm 91, testifies, the Lord is my refuge and my fortress. God can protect us pretty well. And Elijah is learning some humility here as well, that listen, you may not be rich, you may not be wealthy, but understand this, if God is for you, He's going to provide. And God uses the filthiness of a bird to feed his prophet. God tells him, go hide yourself. Here, God says, go hide yourself. Three years later, God would say, go show yourself to Ahab. God's word was to the Jewish people like the rain from heaven. It was absolutely essential to their spiritual lives. Refreshing. The only Lord could give it. Deuteronomy 32, 2, My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew, as a small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon grass. Here's Psalm 50, Isaiah 55, 10. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow of heaven, from heaven, and returneth not hither, but watereth the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. For that three years that Israel is now without Water, it is of judgment from God, the silence of the preacher. Psalm 74, 9, we see not our signs, there is no more any prophet, neither is, there any, neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. Psalm 28, 1, unto thee will I cry, O Lord my rock, be not silent to me, lest thou, if thou be silent to me, I become like them that go down into the pit. God says, you know what, I'm not going to give you any more instruction right now. Have you ever had those times in your life and you're just like, God, where are you? Where are you? Why am I going through what I'm going through? Where are you, God? And in Israel's case, I'm not saying in your case, but in Israel's case, they had rejected truth. They didn't want it. And God says, listen, I'm not going to give you more truth until you're willing to listen to the first truth I gave you. In the morning and the evening, these ravens would come and feed. Now, the raven was considered unclean, detestable. I mean, you think about the, the mosaic list of, uh, of, of, of non-kosher animals. The raven's pretty high up there. And that is the bird that God used to sustain the life of his servant. The Lord provided the food for the birds and... Provided the food of the transportation of that food to Elijah. Just as God could provide manna in the wilderness for Israel in a place, I mean, just unthinkable. I mean, the whole Sinai desert. And that's where they wandered. And they had food for 40 years. Their, their uh, shoes and sandals, they didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. They had water out of a rock from nothing God provided. God provides for Elijah. He says, run for your life. In Psalm 147.9, he giveth the be to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry. So as the drought progresses and it gets further and further, as the people's 
uh, supplies of refreshment for refreshing water uh, grows dim, leaving the prophet even without water. But uh, he was never made a move until the Lord, word of the Lord came to say, Elijah, move. I like this sa- statement. It says, It has well been said that the will of God will never lead us to where the grace of God cannot keep us and care for us. Elijah knew from that experience. I'd like you to look with me, Isaiah 33, on that very principle. Isaiah 33, and then we'll come back to 1 Kings 7, uh, 17. Excuse me, Isaiah 33, verse 15 and 16, on this principle that the will of God will never lead us to where God will not provide and care for us. Isaiah chapter 33. You know why that's why it's so essential in your life? To make sure that you are within the will of God? God has a plan for your life. And when you're in God's will, you, can, you have his presence with you. You abide under the shadow of the Almighty, Psalm 91.1, right? That idea. Psalm, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 33, 15. He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, he that despiseth the gain of oppressions, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil, He shall dwell on high, his place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks, bread shall be given him, his waters shall be sure. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes the silence of God in our lives could very well be that God's saying, listen, there's an area in your life that you're not listening. I want you to listen. I want you to step forward. I want you to heed the truth. And until you do that, there will not be more. You know, like a loving parent. You know, if a child, if you're there teaching education or your child's in school and they're learning, it's hard to progress to the next step until you get some of the fundamentals. I mean, if you don't learn addition, it's going to be very difficult to get to multiplication. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but... (laughs) The thought is, you have to work incrementally. And God says, listen, I, you, need to learn, you need to listen to this one truth. Now, look with me, 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, going back here. Food from empty vessels. Uh, verse 5, we'll kind of continue this uh, uh, reading here. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the book Cherith, brook Cherith, excuse me, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. It came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Oh, man, I would just... Put yourself in Elijah's place. I mean, God says, go to this widow woman... You go to this widow woman, you're thinking, okay, she's going to have a lot of provision. She said, no, I only have a cruise of oil. I've got only a little bit of flour left. And uh, by the way, a little bit of meal. And we're going to make a cake and we're going to die. Verse 13, Elijah said unto her, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me there of a little cake first. 
and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. I mean, can you think of the audacity of an individual to go to a widow woman? It's her last, I mean, she's got two pennies left to her name, if you want to think about it that way. She says, I'm just going to buy whatever little tiny bit of food that I can, get a little bit of food, this last little bit that I have in my pantry. Uh, I'm going to make it for my son and I, and then we're going to die. Elijah says, no, make for me first. And she's thinking, now I'm going to die even earlier. I'm going to be a horrible mother. My son's going to, I mean, I'm really going to see my son die. This is where faith is. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. So here's this crazy man coming to this widow woman, make me a cake first. Oh, by the way, the Lord God of heaven, your, your meal's not going to waste and your oil won't. Are you going to trust him? Are you just going to trust what he says? And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Where is faith? I mean, he goes from being provided by ravens to being provided by a widow woman so poor she's anticipating death. Can you imagine the humility you know, we don't like to inconvenience people. I don't, want to do, I don't want to ask them because I'll inconvenience them. And God says, I, don't, I want you to inconvenience her. I want you to even stretch her faith. Whew. By the way, if she obeys the Lord, then she has food for many days. But she doesn't get to read what we get to read. We think, well, that's easy. We know the end of the story. But when you're living that story, maybe now you're living that story. Living with a widow woman whom God had selected to care. I mean, she's lost her husband. She's lonely. And now she's failing her own child that she can't care for. There's no food. Will you obey? Food is not plentiful here. And she has a choice to make. The pressure's on. Do I obey this man who was just eating raven's food? It was not raven's food, but food the ravens delivered. He's now coming to me and asking me. I mean, he's just like a guy that's just, you know, you know, you think sometimes in the mindset, especially in this time, in this culture, the men provided for the ladies, but now a lady's providing for a man. The, see, the greatness of Elijah wasn't Elijah. The greatness of Elijah was the God through Elijah, of the humility when God sends us, we must obey him and leave the rest to him. If we don't live on man's explanations, we live on God's promises. I like, here's a, a quote that Watchman Nee says. He says, because of our proneness to look at the bu bucket and forget the fountain. He goes on to say, God is frequently to change his means of supply to keep our eyes fixed on the source. He went from 
the ravens providing to now a widow providing. All in the understanding that it is the God who's provided the daily sustenance for Elijah. Who gets the glory here? God does. It's not man. And you find even on the very saying here in Joshua chapter 5. Look with me here, Joshua 5. We'll come back to 1 Kings, but Joshua chapter 5. Verse 10. And the children of Israel, children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they'd eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. God got them out of Egypt, brought them into the wilderness. How are we going to provide food? We have some livestock, but it's definitely not enough to get us through the whole desert into the promised land. And especially it's not enough for 40 years. So God says, you know what? I'm going to provide for you. Manna from heaven. Eventually the people would be like, manna, manna, manna. I'm tired of manna. I want some meat. And so God sent quail. God provided the food all the way into the promised land. Then they ate the corn of the land, and God says, okay, the manna can be lifted. You know what, there's times in our lives we may not have necessarily the nicest of things, but we definitely have the provision we need when we need it. As we follow God, we can know with certainty that our God goes with us, and he will provide all that we need. In Acts chapter 4, verse 34, neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold. But here in the early church of Jerusalem, I mean, there was just an understanding uh, of the poverty among some people, and they were just helping one another there in that church. Acts chapter 11. There was a determination to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. Elijah is about to learn what God can do with empty vessels. As we, going back to our main passage here, the barrel of meal shall not waste, the cruise of oil shall not fail. He says, you know, God takes these empty vessels and God says, Elijah, I'm going to sustain you. You know what God would sometimes even use it is not listed that she was necessarily a believer in the God of Israel. But you know what? God has used lost people, people that don't believe in God, to provide for his people. Second Chronicles chapter 36, the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Right? He's the successor to Nebuchadnezzar, came in and defeated Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, and we find in this very fact that Cyrus would provide for the Israelites. Isaiah 44 as well. Isaiah 44, 28, That saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built into the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. God used Cyrus, the king of Persia, to say, Hey, 
the temple's uh, destroyed. Let's build it back up. Let's get it going. He's not a believer in the God of Israel. Look with me in verse 12 of 1 Kings 17. She says, and she said, as the Lord thy God liveth. So she's not saying my God, she's saying your God. The Jehovah your God. It's not hers. And so it's likely in our scenario here, uh, in chapter 18, 1, that he stayed with her for two years. But during this two years, she would turn from the worship of idols to put her faith in the true and living God. You know what? Sometimes you might go through some very, very difficult circumstances, some meager circumstances, and you're thinking, God, I've been serving you. You've been going through, I mean, you've just been going through the fires, you've been going through the heat, and you're just like, God, I'm done. You're just like, throw it up, right, I'm done. But people around you who don't know God, as they look in on you, they said, how in the world are they sustained? How in the world do you maintain through the challenges and the strife and the struggles you're going through? And, and they don't see necessarily all that's going on in your heart and your mind and thinking, if they saw my heart or they saw my mind, they would think I'm crazy. And they would confirm it. But as this widow woman would see Elijah through this time, coming to the understanding that there is a true and living God. Elijah's assets are great. Why? Because God Almighty had promised to take care of him. Promised to take care of the widow woman and her son. And God gave a promise that that cruise of oil would not fail and the meal would not go away. In a modern society of credit cards, convenient shopping, we need to remember that every meal that we eat really is a miracle from God. We may live far from where a farmer grows. I mean, there's sometimes we're eating fruits and vegetables that come from around the world. But if there's no rain where those farmers are, we're not getting that food. You think about the Lord's Prayer, right? Give us this day our daily bread. That is more than just a prayer. It's a truth. The great truth that our God cares for us and sees the many hands that work together so that we can purchase the food that we eat. I mean, we live up here in the north. We don't have the ability to have, you know, huge crops. At the back of a loaf of bread is a snowy flower. In the back of the flower is the mill. In the back of the mill is the wheat, sun, and the shower. The farmer and the father's will. You think about this. I mean, you just trace back what you eat, and it goes back to there's some agriculture somewhere that you're eating of that crop. And it's God. So as we think about fire fall from, let the fire fall, we also need to understand that there is a God in heaven that he controls the resources that we have. You know what I mean? To be thankful in due season, in the good, in the bad, because even in the bad, God still provides. And we need to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And it is there, we may be eating of the raven's food, we may be eating from the widow's food, 
but we're still eating the food from God. Let's praise Him and go to prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You for this morning Sunday school lesson, Father, about uh, just an understanding that, Father, You do ultimately control the rain. You control the weather, the climate. And Father, as much as man may think of the ability to do such, natural disasters and other events occur that show us just how powerless we really are. Lord Jesus, I just pray that we as believers, those who profess the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we would just be willing to go hide ourselves let the ravens feed us, if that may be, if that be. Let the widow woman feed us, Lord, in humility. But always understand that it is you who sustain us. You sustain us not only physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. Lord, as we cast our burdens before the cross and find the sweet hope and the sweet rest that only you can give. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.